Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Desire to Destiny. This podcast explores the mystery behind our deepest desires and how we can engage them to become happier human beings. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can find those posted in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get all future episodes. Now, here's your host, Dr. Mike Larson. Well, they got me again. Another perfectly timed, perfectly placed Facebook ad with exactly what I was looking for. It happened this way. I was searching online for how to build my own indoor gym. Uh, This social limitation and isolation had gotten me restless and I wanted something to do at my house. And even though when I have a gym membership, I usually just ignore it and don't go and then cancel it eventually, uh, I thought certainly if it was in my home, I would take advantage of it. But as I started to do the research, I thought this is going to cost way too much, way too much work. I'm just going back to scroll through and see what's happening on good old social media. And there it happened to pop up in my newsfeed, this ad for an in-home workout program that required no setup, no weights whatsoever, just me and the iPad I was on right now, and I could suddenly transform myself into this incredible physique that I saw on the screen. In fact, while I was looking at it and being sucked in by the ad and all the promises that were being made, my son came by and looked at the screen and said, oh, look at that strong man. And then looked back at me as with a hint of disappointment. I decided it was time to make the plunge. And so I bought this program, pretty much ignored it for about a month. But I I did start getting into it recently. And and I noticed something kind of peculiar uh, that was not unique to this individual. I think all fitness instructors do this. But that just seemed kind of odd to me while I was going through the program. As he was coaching me in the different techniques and the different um, kind of forms that I was supposed to take in these exercises, he kept saying things over and over again like, controlled breathing, watch your breathing, deep breaths. Or he'd even sometimes just say in the middle of the exercise, breathing, as if to uh, command that we keep doing it. And I thought, isn't that odd? Like, if I can hear you, then chances are I'm breathing. But like I said, he's not the only fitness instructor who does this. A while back, I took uh, a group of teenage boys to a yoga class, and they were excited to go, but maybe a little bit apprehensive, a little insecure about doing the exercises, and so they were quieter than usual. And like a lot of things these days, this was actually a, a Zoom class, and so while they were doing the class, the instructor was having a hard time knowing, you know, if they were engaged, he wasn't really getting any feedback And he made a comment that I think was intended to loosen them up a bit, uh, to engage them in the process, but also hopefully get them to open up a little more and engage with him uh, more directly. He said all of a sudden, pay attention to your breath. We forget that shit. And the boys lost it. And then he lost them. It was hard to bring them back after that. But I have to say, I think Harry, the yoga instructor, is actually right. We do forget that shit. Have you ever said to yourself when you're listening to a really engaging story or maybe you're watching something on the news or a movie, all of a sudden you say to yourself or someone sitting next to you, oh, I forgot to breathe for a minute. You get tense or excited and you just hold it in and realize you weren't even doing one of the most natural things that we all do every moment to stay alive. 
But it's not just particularly tense moments or intense periods of exercise where we need to be reminded to breathe. Apparently, there are actually biomechanics to breathing that can have an impact on everything we do. According to Postural Restoration Institute's founder, Ron Hruska, proper diaphragmatic breathing restores everything from alternating mechanics of dynamic movement and posture, like arm swing during gait, to our ability to handle sensory input. And his institute over the last 20 years has been dedicated to training individuals and different professionals in how to improve these biomechanics in the body so that people can have an overall better well-being. Dana Santos is a yoga instructor who actually went through the training from this institute. And she does much work with professional athletes and mentions in an online article how many times people think that you just say, breathe deep, breathe deep. Um, And that she herself had often coached people in this way. But after working with Postural Restorations Institute, she said that with the knowledge from this training, my breath work with clients evolved from a focus on relaxation to leveraging breathing for better movement, such as increasing pitcher shoulder mobility, enhancing golfer swing rotation, and improving hockey player shoulder girdle stability. And now, for just $120, you can enroll in her Breathe Better 101 online course so that you can move, feel, and perform better in your daily life. Bet you never thought your breathing could take so much work. But sometimes, it's easy to overlook the things that are right in front of us. In our last episode, I shared about the importance of faith to our well-being. And that faith can take many forms, whether someone puts their trust in God or a higher power of some kind, science or the human spirit. Uh, The presence of hope and optimism that faith embodies can lead every one of us to healthier minds, bodies, and spirits. For me, that has involved a deep faith in God. And to that end, I, I shared a particular vision of God, something commonly known as the 13 attributes of mercy that comes from this ancient Hebrew text, this self-revelation of God to the people of Israel. He reads this way, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, according to Jewish tradition, these are 13 attributes of mercy with which God governs the world. And and we're going to take some time digging into these, but it's the first three that I want to bring your attention to today. The English translation I just read starts out, the Lord, the Lord, a God. These are the first three attributes of mercy. And, And this repeated naming of God at the introduction has often been understood as pointing to the divine one's compassion before a person sins, that's the first Lord, um, to compassion after a person has sinned, which is the second Lord, and the ongoing power to give compassion to all creatures according to their need, which is the God at the end of it. The Lord, the Lord, a God. Now, seeing God as compassionate or the cosmos as friendly, depending on what your worldview is, is vital to maintaining a life-giving faith. And it's a topic we'll pick up in greater detail in the next episode. But the history behind these names of God reminds us of an even greater truth, a truth that like our breathing, we may have the habit 
of overlooking. Before the 13 attributes of mercy had been revealed to Moses as the name of God, he'd actually come to know God by a simpler and more mysterious name. This spiritual encounter took place when Moses was living as a shepherd in the wilderness lands to the east of Egypt. As the story goes, Moses had come from a Hebrew background, but he had actually grown up in the royal family. He had grown up as a ranking member of the Egyptian empire, one with power and influence and distance from the work and labor that his people had to endure. But he'd never lost touch with the people that he had come from. And one day he, from this privileged position, came to look out upon his Hebrew people who were under the rule of taskmasters at the time and in bondage for 400 years plus. And as he watched one of them being abused and torn apart by one of the Egyptian taskmasters, fury overtook him. A sense of uh, longing for justice and doing what was right just uh, swelled up within him. And looking one way and then the other, he decided to take the matter into his own hands. Literally, he killed the Egyptian with his own hands and buried him in the sand. When the report of this crime spreads throughout Egypt, which it does rather quickly, Moses decides he has no choice but to flee for his life, which is what has him ending up in the wilderness looking after sheep. After a lifetime of hiding away in these lonely lands, trying to forget the crimes of his past, Moses has the memories of that day come flooding back to him in an unusual and now legendary spiritual encounter. One day, as he's simply out watching his sheep, he notices an unusual sight on the horizon. There's a, a shrub there in the desert that has caught fire. Um, but unlike most shrubs in that climate, it, it doesn't just burn up, it continues to burn. And Moses begins to wonder about what's going on, why this fire continues flaming. So he walks by to catch a, a closer look. And when he does, he's surprised to hear his name coming out of the bush, a voice speaking from within it, Moses, Moses. And Moses does what any of us would do if the vegetation started speaking with us. He speaks back. And as he begins to carry on a conversation in the middle of the wilderness with this burning bush, the voice reveals itself uh, to be that of God, the God of Moses's ancestry, the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses becomes afraid. This is not a feeling that would quickly leave Moses either. If it wasn't frightening enough to hear his voice coming from a burning bush in the midst of the wilderness, and if it wasn't frightening enough to believe he had heard this voice then claim to be the God of his ancestors, the God that had been rumored to create the entire world, then the things that this voice said became very close to the heart of Moses. This God speaking from the, from the burning bush said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them. Moses was well acquainted with what God was speaking about. Moses knew the people that God was speaking of were, were the Israelites who were in bondage, the, the very ones that 40 years ago he had looked out and it had broken his heart in such a profound way that he decided to take another man's life. Moses 
must have had a surge of emotions at hearing this recounted, this suffering recounted. I can imagine if I were in Moses's situation, if I were in his shoes, which he had actually taken off earlier in the story because he was standing on holy ground. But if I was in his situation, I can imagine um, feeling a keen sense of pain uh, at remembering these scenes from so many years ago. I can imagine just the, the hurt of knowing that the people he loved so dearly were still suffering in the way they were, of feeling like he had neglected them, he had abandoned them, that he had failed them, and that the reminder of this must have weighed very heavy on his heart. I can imagine that maybe he was relieved to hear that uh, God was responding, that that the God was on the side of these people and ready to help deliver them. I can imagine him maybe even being upset with God for having waited so long. Um, and in this mix of emotions, in this confusion, in this disorientation, does he believe this voice that's coming um, from the burning bush? Does, does he believe this experience that he's happening? Can he actually attach back to those desires that he had so long ago to see what this voice is claiming will now take place, the freedom of his people? Can he actually believe it to be true? But before Moses has an opportunity to sort any of that out, uh, God gives a whole new reason for him to be newly afraid. The voice coming from that burning bush once again now says to Moses, I I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to set these people free. I am sending you, God says. I will be with you. You will succeed in this mission. They will be set free. They will return to this place and they too will have an encounter with me. Based upon the response of Moses, it seems that he's at least inclined in some ways to believe this voice. His only question that he has is, why are you talking to me? Who, who am I to be the one that does all this? He doesn't ask whether God can do it or will do it. He seems to believe this experience. Uh, something rings true about all that he is encountering uh, in this moment, in this bizarre moment in the wilderness. But his biggest question is not whether this promise is true, this encounter is real, or that a God is actually capable or willing to do what God is saying. Rather, he just can't fathom the idea that he would still be a part of it. Long ago, Moses lost touch with that desire to set his people free, to see them liberated from the bondage, to be a part of that. He was out of touch with that, and he was not willing to travel that road again. Who am I? Who am I, God, to be a part of this experience, a part of this incredible task and journey? Certainly, you have the wrong person. But as reluctant as Moses is to personally participate in this project, it strikes too close to home for him to just merely walk away. He, he wants to at least know more about who it is that he's dealing with. And so he, he asks a, a very interesting question. He says, if I go, if, if I was to do this, um, and I say, God wants to deliver you, what God would I point them to? I mean, there were, there were a myriad of gods for them to choose from, a myriad of gods for them to believe in. So Moses is saying, you know, what's your name? What's your character? Who are you that they can know you, that they can trust you, that they would think that you would send me on a mission like this and that you would deliver them? What is your name? And to this all-important question, 
God simply replies, I am that I am. Now, if you're trying to convince Moses to help out, it doesn't seem like this is the time to play coy. He's already a little apprehensive about the whole situation and uh, seems ready to uh, run a little bit further away than he was the last time. But based upon uh, a lot of the wordplay and different factors in this text, this is not just God being mysterious. This is also God beginning a divine revelation. Honestly, the name that God gives to Moses in this context is much less descriptive than the 13 divine attributes name he gives later on in Exodus chapter 34. Here at the beginning of the journey, Moses is not told as much about God's character, his compassion and his mercy and his forgiveness. All these things are left out of the conversation. Moses is given only this simple name, I am. A four-letter Hebrew word with much of the forbidden nature that that implies. Not in the crass uh, sense so much, but there was an apprehension in, in Jewish thinking around saying the name of God, about using it in some inappropriate way or some empty, uh, in some empty capacity. So much so that they actually lost the pronunciation of this word. It's four Hebrew consonants, yod he va he and the, the vowel markings were often left off of it so that people would not pronounce the name. In fact, they were given another name to pronounce this I am name, um, Adonai or Lord, which is what we often see in the English translation. Another common way of pronouncing the name is Yahweh, adding to it some of that vowel sound. But there's also much speculation that this misses the point. That, that the truth is that these four co- consonants that form the word, the yod, he, va, he, uh, that when they're pronounced, that it's not so much something that's done with the lips and the tongue, but rather they are breathed. That it wasn't so much the forbidden aspect of don't say the name, but literally you couldn't say the name as much as you breathe the name. That to breathe was to proclaim the name of this God. That this God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush, that this God that came to speak to the desires deep in the heart of Moses that had laid latent for 40 years, was the God as close as his every breath. And that every moment of breathing was a reminder that this God was with Moses. And the wordplay in this text implies just that, that when God says, I will be with you, and I am with you, and I will send you, that the the word sounds very similar to the one that introduces God's name, I am. As if simply to say, if you want to know who I am, just take a moment and breathe, because I'm as close to you as every breath you take. And I've never been further away. When God gives this simple name uh, to describe the divine character, it's not because there's not more words that could be used to describe it. That becomes very obvious later in the further revelations. Instead, it's like God is inviting us to discover for ourselves through experience and encounter and pursuit, just who God is. It's an invitation to pay attention to our breath, to pay attention 
to our breathing, to what gives us life and vitality each day, to the desires and the passions stirring within us, the dreams and the hopes that we have that spur us on. It's an invitation to pay special attention to the moments that take our breath away, the ones that are awe-inspiring and mesmerizing that we can't wait to experience again, and to the ones that take our breath away in a very terrifying sense, and the, I can't breathe, I, I, I can't, I feel like I can't take another breath. It's to pay attention to those moments, to the breath in those moments, and to realize that just as our breath is in those moments, God is present as well. No doubt, this was a lesson that Moses took with him from this experience. After he had been notably distant from God for four decades, 40 years, he came to realize God was still with him. And here's the thing, no matter how long you've been absent from your deepest desires, from the dreams that inspire your whole, your soul, that uh, the hopes that, um, that move your life forward. God has not forgotten these. Just like the breath that you're taking every second here as you're listening to this, God is just as close as that, waiting to infuse life and hope into you to help you catch your breath again. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what moment you're at. If you're, if you're at that spellbinding, take your breath away moment where you just need the courage to push on, or if you're at that, I can't take this anymore moment and need uh, comfort and reassurance. God's presence is there. The divine presence remains latent, waiting to just infuse you with life. If you would pay attention to that breath, and breathe in all that God wants to give you in that moment. Now, maybe that sounds trite or kitschy or just plain unbelievable to you. But if you've lived this kind of experience or you're living it now, it is anything but. Think back for a moment to the topic we addressed last time. So many times people want to keep God out of their pursuit of happiness in so many different ways. But why? And more important than why people do it, why? why do you do it? And uh, maybe you'll object to my assumption that you do that. Um, Maybe you say, no, 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 I'm I'm close with God. Um, Or you'll say, it doesn't matter. I don't believe in God. So why would that matter? But, But I'm willing to bet that everyone listening to this has had time in their life where they felt closer to God and a time where they felt farther away. And sometimes this distance is seen through a diminishing prayer life. It's just, it's just hard to try to communicate with God to try to spend that quiet time. Or sometimes it's a defense of God when you're hurting. It's, oh, well, you know, I'm sure God still loves me even though these prayers aren't answered rather than being honest about that frustration. Sometimes it's a denial of God or the existence of God. Many people have created distance from God just by denying that God exists. But think about it. Why even bother denying something that doesn't exist? We all have ways of creating distance with God. So why do we do it? Well, I'll let you reflect on that for yourself. But I know for me, much of it has to do with the kinds of things that were in the story for Moses. And that's with fear. And the fear is kind of an interesting one for me because I I have an image of God as one that is loving and powerful and joy-filled, a personal God, one that is invested in my happiness. And I happen to believe that this God has a habit of drawing flawed human beings into impossible missions to bring light and hope and joy into the darkest of situations. 
I've experienced that at times in my own life. You know, I've, I've had situations where I've sensed the strong presence of God, um, either comforting me or encouraging me or challenging me or empowering me. And I believe this to be true. And I've heard even greater stories, uh, ones that are unbelievable, like this one of Moses freeing an entire nation from slavery. Pretty unbelievable. I've heard other incredible uh, accounts and of courageous faith. Ones that, to be honest with you, they scare me to death if I would be a part of that. See, the thing that makes me afraid is I think, do I really want to risk all that these people have risked in drawing near to here and then choosing to follow the promptings of this adventure-seeking God? But if I'm being honest, it's not the risk of losing that scares me the most. It's not the fear of, oh man, look at what I might lose if I take this chance. If I'm being honest, sometimes I am distant from God because I sense that God is wooing me and drawing me towards a bigger and better vision and experience of myself than I really think is possible. I'm actually more afraid that I may succeed. To borrow a well-known quote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Those words, of course, came from Marianne Williamson. And when I think about what it would mean to apply those words to my life, to, to not live in the shadows, to not live in the fear, to, to step into that light. When I think of what that would look like as far as fulfilling different desires of mine and, and pursuing those with all of my heart and being, my heart starts to beat a little faster. My breaths come a little quicker. I have to remember to slow down and oh, breathe again, breathe again. As I do, as I pay attention to that breath, I think, what if, what if that's a reminder that in this apprehension, in this uncertainty, in this doubt about my ability to show up, that my breath is a reminder that God is present with me every step of the way? What if I would pay attention to that? If I would believe that and lean into that, what difference would it make for me to stop living safe and start living free? And if that's a question that lands for you too, that, that calls to you, then, then I'd invite you to consider a couple of steps. One, to just take the time to breathe uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, whether that looks like more exercise, uh, joining a yoga class, paying for an online course to learn how to breathe better, whatever it takes for you to just actually breathe 
I, I think of how much time I spend at work with a mask on and what a relief it is at the end of the day to take it off, to be outside with no one around and my naked face and just breathe in the fresh air that comes with it. I think of emotionally how it just feels like many times there's no space for anything. Uh, we, we're we c- under constant pressure from different political realities and, and just different things that are going on in our world right now with a pandemic. And, and many of us are probably frayed to the edge and we just need to take emotional space, to take a break from the constant news cycle or from different uh, things within our own personal relationships. And we just need space for that. And spiritually speaking, to breathe, to actually find some sort of practices and rituals through, through prayer and meditation that turn our hearts and our attention back towards God, back towards a source of power and light and hope that is outside of ourselves to activate our faith and hope and optimism. Take time to breathe. And when you've done that, I'd invite you in that space, and only when you've done that, when you've actually given yourself space to breathe and then to be ready to reflect, to begin to ask yourself this question. What risk is calling out to you right now? Is there a difficult conversation that has your name on it? a confrontation you need to make, a confession you need to offer, forgiveness that you, that you need to provide? Is there a bold step forward in education and in work or in advocacy for yourself or someone else that you need to take or a big step back uh, to break free from addiction or an unhealthy relationship? What risk has your name on it right now? Whatever the risk may be that's calling out to you that you know you need to take to keep living free, May your breath be a reminder that you do not face that risk alone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Desire to Destiny. We hope it inspires your next step on the pathway of happiness. As you go, we'd love to hear from you. Send your comments or questions about the show to desiretodestiny at ramada.org and subscribe to get any future episodes.